Have you ever taken a look at what's going on in your life as a Christian and said, what in the world is happening? Pastor Glenn Thompson from Jackson, Tennessee, takes us through some of those experiences today in his own life. And in an encouraging way, he reminds us that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. If we're confused about what he's doing from time to time, that's not a cause to be alarmed. It's a cause to look upward in faith and realize that his ways are so much higher than our ways. Won't you join us and be encouraged by the word of God today as it comes through Pastor Thompson. Welcome, friend, to Arlington United. Just so you know, if you're waiting for me to get to the place where I announce that I'm starting my sermon, I've already done that, okay? I, uh, I'm a probably a little bit different than some. I can do the preacher voice if you feel like that's going to make it better for you today. Or I'll just talk a little bit. But it's amazing to me how God builds churches and how he plants people in the church. Psalms tells us that God plants people planted in the church, right? Long before Arlington United ever began as a startup church, God had plans for you. You. And, and I know that you participate here but God already had a plan for you. And I don't know if you thought at that point your life was sitting on a shelf, waiting, trying to decide, figure out what was next in your life. But the reality is it was more of a waiting pattern, like an airplane getting ready to land, to be planted, if you will, just waiting for the right time so that it's clear what God's will is in your life. That's why you're here. And he does it that way. That's what's amazing to me about God is that's exactly how God does it. He chooses to fill churches with people that, that fit that, that demeanor, that fit that style, that fit that personality. People who need to be ministered to in a certain way. He fills churches with people who have different stories, different personalities. Stories about how God brought them out and how also God brought you in connection to this church. If we were to take time today, everybody in here would have some sort of story or testimony about how you made a connection to this body and what you think God's doing in your life. I love stories. Stories about the church and stories about life. You know, new life is a God thing because for us there in Jackson, that was never the plan of Glenn. In fact, it's quite funny. Um, let's see, what is this, 19? So oh, about 22, three years ago, we came through Jackson, Tennessee, and not much way of Memphis other than one visit but we came through and I told my wife at that time they had just built their big Walmart and that was pretty much all they had you know it wasn't the place you wanted to stop if you were heading into Nashville and I told my wife I said I never want to end up in this kind of town 
this is not what God has planned for me. I remember there was one time we were we were preaching in West Tennessee area. And I'm a, I'm a St. Louis boy. I'm originally from North Chicago, right? Moved down to West to uh, East. No, I'm sorry, to St. Louis area. And my wife is a St. Louis native. If you want to know where she went to high school, she'll tell you because that's what else, that's how you identify people from St. Louis. And and so I'm from that area, right? Out in the sticks, by the way. I didn't know there was other Pentecostal churches other than the one I went to. If that gives you an idea, that's how that's how country I was. I grew up, but. We, come, we evangelized a little bit and preached out a little bit here in West Tennessee about 23, 24 years ago. And I got so sick from allergies and sinus infection, even went to the hospital. And I told my wife, I never, we can never end up in Jackson, Tennessee. God does it that way, right? So what we did instead is we ended up going to Little Rock and back up to... to uh, to Missouri and God opened God was calling us somewhere we just didn't know where and the only door open was Harrisburg Pennsylvania that was the only door and I prayed about it and God he's used this the one word I love God but I wish he'd give more answers when he gives answers right he used one word go <laughs> go well, the only opportunity we had was in Harrisburg. So we literally packed up everything. We had, we had uh, the two oldest boys. And we packed up everything. Loaded up that U-Haul. We had just enough room for the two car seats. Me on driver, her on passenger navigator. Drove to Harrisburg. Unloaded our stuff. The kids sitting in their pumpkin seats while we're unloading into the storage unit. And... Drove home because we had to get home by Sunday night because Monday we were closing on our house so that we can go back to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and do a work of God. Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> we get home and we have nothing in the house. I mean, when I say nothing, there was nothing. All we had was the clothes in our bag that we brought back with us. And that was it. Electricity was shut off. Uh, gas was shut off. Water was shut off. Everything was done. And so we, we get up that next morning and we have, I, I don't know if we had bottles of water or what we had, but you know, we try to freshen ourselves up enough that we're not going to be smelling in the, uh, in, you know, at the lawyer's office where we sign everything. And, and we, we, we get ready to go. And I think we even get there. And the young lady that was buying our house backed out at the table. Now that was not expected. I mean, come on, we're doing work of God. You, you think the Lord should work on that, right? So, so now what do you do? You certainly don't go back to the house that has no electric, no water, no nothing, right? And we do temporarily go back there, not to stay the night, but, but where else do you go? So we went right back to our house to figure it out. And wouldn't you know, we in that effort of doing so is the funniest thing. My wife was outside I was outside my wife I was outside my wife was inside and I walked across the hornet's nest and I yelled to my wife don't come out here and I went around the building when I come in guess where she wasn't in the house she wanted to see what I was saying so she come outside literally by the end of that episode we 
There were so many hornets on all of our clothes that we were inside this house with no lights, no electricity, and no clothes because there were so many hornets. It was so crazy. Right there trying to do the will of God, the girl didn't buy our house, and, and we're being attacked by hornets. So what do we do? Well, my wife's parents, because this is always the, the most exciting answer for any problem in your life, you move in with the in-laws, right? <laughs> my, my wife's parents were living in Memphis at the time, which just happened to be the same church that that, that, that the pastor was uh, went to. And uh, we thought, well, we'll go down there and we will stay a week until this young lady resolves her needs or somebody else picks up the house or something. So we go down and our goal is to stay a week. How don't, was it? It was almost five or six months and nothing was happening. Now don't misunderstand me. God was in the moment because, how about this? Our realtor, unbeknownst to us, our realtor happened to be somebody that used to go to the church on a regular basis and hadn't been going for quite a few years. And she, her comment was, okay, well, while you guys are down there until we get somebody to buy this house, I haven't, listen to this, I haven't paid tithes for a long time. I'll pay your mortgage until we get somebody to buy it. Now that's just, do you, have you ever known a realtor to say, I'll pay your mortgage? <laughs> you know God was in that. So, you know, God's in the moment. But we're like, okay, God, where are you in this moment? And we're trying to figure this all out. And so finally I said, April, maybe God is changing our plan. You got to understand, we had already invested a portion of our life trying to, 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 to work out this Harrisburg thing, jobs, trying to figure out job situation and housing and meeting different people and all these different things. And I said, maybe I got something wrong. Maybe God, maybe, I, maybe. Maybe we need to talk to God about this. And so we prayed. And God gave us an answer. And believe it or not, he gave us a few more words this time. Two extra words, in fact. It was stay and build. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is where I got confused. Up to now, I'm just holding on, saying, okay, God, maybe, maybe we're just waiting this out. But now it's... Now I'm slightly confused because I thought God was saying stay and build a house so that way whenever you get ready to leave, you've got some money and you can go do the work. And that's not what he meant at all. What he meant was stay and be built. And so for nine years, we were at, at the church there in Memphis with your pastor and others learning and growing. And that's where Dr. Jackson became my friend. Let me tell you, when God puts people together, it's the most amazing thing. And so here we are spending nine years in Memphis with just a wonderful experience, experiencing what God, revival, miracles, people being baptized, part of a large church that I had never been a part of. You got to, I grew up in a church of, of 50 or less. And I had some privileges of being a part of a little bit larger church, but then we go down, we go down there. And what was so so powerful is we had these, these planning retreats where we talked about the things of God. And your pastor does them now, I, I know. And where we talked about God's plan and God's purpose for the body of Christ, that 
where we've been planted. And, and we were doing one in Jackson. We were staying in a hotel and we would meet and do this planning retreat. And those, those moments were really life-changing for me. We were doing one and, and your pastor's mother, Judy, happened to have gone, went to a church there in Jackson years ago. Same church that that pastor was a youth pastor at. By the way, I found a video not too long ago of him on there. Uh, well, I didn't find it. Somebody found it and showed it to me. I'm not a Facebook fanatic, but, but somebody showed it to me of him when he was like uh, Chandler's age here. And so he was skinny then too, right? <laughs> People that are skinny all their lives. But so we, we are... You know, we're there in town, and, and she says she makes a decision. She's going to use her resources, and Judy was her her gifting was hospitality. It really was. She could make a meal that was that would that would not only fill you up but would fill everybody in, in the crowd that was all there. The only problem with Judy is she never gave you her recipes. But other than that, it was it was tremendous, right? And so we're. We're in, we have this great move of God in our planning session and in our, our retreat. And Judy is going to fix a meal and take us to a church that has a little larger area for us to eat than where we were. And so we ended up going to this church in town in Jackson. And we come in the back door, not the front door, but the back door. And we walk into this fellowship hall. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm saying this not in a judgmental way, because here you'll understand here in just a minute where I'm going. But... We were, we were experiencing a church that we're at, sometimes we're claiming to be around 800, right? So anywhere 6 to 800, so good size at, at, at times. And we show up at this church, this country-looking church, and we go in the back door, and the fellowship hall wasn't big enough to handle the group that we had there for the planning retreat even. But we're going to make the best out of, a, out of whatever kind of situation, so we... We walk, we decide we're going to find somewhere else to eat other than in that fellowship hall, which I believe was hot at the time. And we walk around the building. And we find, uh, we find different rooms. And some of them had doors closed and some of them had doors open. And the ones that were closed were closed for a reason. You didn't want to go in there because it was full of stuff. <laughs> and then we open, and please do not judge me. I promise you, you're going to understand here in a second. Do not judge me for this. You, you can judge me, just you'll understand. We open the sanctuary door. And you know that smell of, of, a, of, a, of a building that's been, you know, there's been no air conditioner all week. And, and especially churches have that smell. And so we opened the door and I smelled that smell. And I looked at my wife. Forgive me, because don't turn me off when you hear this. I looked at my wife and I said, I, why would anybody want to go to church here? Little did I know that that would be the church I pastor. Just four or five years later. Now, I'll be honest with you, the first two years of me pastoring, I said the same thing to my wife. Why would anybody want to go to church here? Right? <laughs> But that started that, that process for us. We had no plans to be in Jackson. That was never the goal. We never had the idea that we would, we would start that way. In fact, we went to a church, just so you understand, uh, how many of you see, uh, 
We had exactly the same number of people in here now that we had our first service. It wasn't, and it was a church that was 45 years old at the time. And so I'm not complaining, I'm just explaining. Our experience was never something that I planned. It was never something I even imagined it would be like. And it was so amazing, and I know I gotta hurry. I, I, I can get to talking, I have a problem with that. But it was so amazing how God began to do things that we didn't expect. If God would have listened to me, then none of this would have ever happened. And I have no idea where I would ever be. I have no idea where I'd be right now if God would have done it that way. But as it was, as it's written, if we, if we allow God to direct our path, he will place us in areas and things and churches in our lives. And in, he'll, he'll do things in our lives in such a way that makes our lives that much better better than what we could ever do ourselves. The problem is sometimes we get a little frustrated in the way waiting on God to show up that he's God. <laughs> you know, God is amazing. In fact, his ways are just so much greater than ours. That's, that's what God speaks to his people through the pen of Isaiah. And here's, here's your scripture. If you're looking for the scripture, it's Isaiah 55 and 8. It says, For my thoughts, God speaks, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. I wish he understood I know best. Right? I wish he understood that, that I've already figured this out, God. You just got to do it the way I planned it. If you just give me a little bit more money, and you just give me a little better favor. If you'll just work this out a little bit better, God, everything will be just fine. But the scripture doesn't say that. He says his thoughts are not, not our thoughts. And, and in verse 9, he says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The distance from here to the heavens is just an example, an example of how much greater God's ways are than our ways. So the next time you look up, I don't know about you, I, I'm not afraid of heights, but there's no way you're getting me up one of those radio towers, right? I look up at them and I imagine being that person climbing up there and I literally get sick to my stomach thinking about being up there on that, right? So the next time you drive by one of those radio towers and you look up, just think, you know what, as tall as that is, that's just a fraction of how much God's ways are greater than our ways. His ways are so much greater. Why? Because he sees everything. He sees not only where you are now. He sees what you're going to go through tomorrow, what you're going to go through next month. You didn't catch God by surprise with your needs. You didn't catch God surprised with the circumstances in your life. That, 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 the, the meeting you had at the office, the doctor's meeting, the, the, the financial situation, the broken things at the house, none of that is called God by surprise. And you're thinking, what are you thinking, God? How many has ever said that? Not me. I say that quite often. I think one of our biggest mistakes as Christians is that we 
we place God in this box of our own understanding. Well, if God can't do it between 7 a.m. and 5 p.m., then how in the world is he ever going to be God in my life? That's our little processing. Well, if God can't make them be a happy person and apologize to me for being a jerk, then how can he be God? And so we wonder that, right? Because we put him in this little box of our own understanding. But the reality is it doesn't even work that way. You know, I, don't misunderstand me. I do, not deserve, I do not deserve God's blessings. Nothing in my life deserves God's blessings. I am not a good enough person. But I think you can understand the approach and the feeling that, hey, I've tried to serve God all my life. Ever since I left home, I left home halfway through my senior year and graduated early and went to Bible school, seminary. And, I, and from then to this point now, every aspect of my life has been about trying to, to serve God and serve others all my life. And, and, and that is not a pat on the back because I am such a, a huge failure in so many different ways. And that's, I'm, not, I'm not belittling myself. I just understand my humanity. So I don't say this because I'm great or because I deserve anything, but, but the reality is all of us somewhere along the line have taken the thought process that, God, don't you see how much I'm giving? Don't you see how much I'm sacrificing? Do you see how much I'm trying to commit? Do you see how much I'm trying to do? Do you see how, what I'm trying to be? And so here we are, me and, me and my wife, and this is one of our first early ministries. We're in the, the town of uh, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and we've given everything. We've picked up everything, left family behind. We, we, you know, have nothing. And we're taking jobs where we're making absolutely nothing. And we're living, and if you've ever been this person, you'll understand, we're living in an apartment, on the gym, on the church property, trying to do God's will as a youth pastor. Man, I'll tell you, living on church property, that's always a, a, a big no-no right there to start with. But then we had a house fire. And we lost everything except for pictures, which is the one thing I think everybody says that they wish they keep that would survive, right? So the pictures made it. I think my cowboy boots made it, which I don't have anymore. I don't know where those went, April. <laughs> but we go through this house fire. We're sitting at dinner with a family in the church that we've been working with, and we hear the trucks drive by. And we're saying, I wonder where that's at. And because the sirens didn't really fade away, because we weren't that far from, our, from the church, we decided to go take a look, and it was our apartment. What? You know, God, don't you know we're trying to sacrifice? Don't you know we're trying to give? Don't you know we're trying to do? And so we're doing all these things, and I'm saying, God, what are you thinking? What are, what's, what's in your mind? What's going on here? And, you know, but his ways are much greater than ours. And then we, you know, we go through the, the circles and, and, of, of the journey and we end up in Memphis and God opens the door and we end up and it's an amazing miracle. We don't have time to go through all of it, but we end up in Jackson, Tennessee, and we're driving from Olive Branch all the way up to Jackson before they get 840 done. Wouldn't you know it, right? They get 840 done right before, right after we move, you know. But we, we, we're driving there from Olive Branch, and, and here we are giving God everything, 
And finally, the banker says, if you will sell your, if you'll rent your house out, because we were having our time selling the house. If you'll rent your house out, you'll, we'll be able to finance you to buy a house up here, right? Okay, we can do that. Well, we get the renter and the contract and we go and we meet the banker. She says, you know what? I'm so sorry they changed the rules. Yeah, you all been there. And so now we got to figure something else out. And we make, the, we make the decision. We pray about it. And we make the decision. You know, we really want to do God's will. We want to be in the city where we're at least close by, where we're trying to serve. We don't want to make that hour drive plus every time we go to church. And, and so we're trying to follow God's will and do all that. And we make the decision to commit finances to, to a lease a purchase and, and, and all this process. And the banker is already committed to us that, well, if you do this, we'll be able to do this in a year and all of that. You know how it goes. Well, bottom line is we, large, we lost large, a large sum that we never even really had to begin with. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, what are you thinking? And we lose our house that we were looking to buy because things just fall apart. And so we're trying to figure it all out. And we go from, from this size house to this size house. I love my children, but I did not know I was signing up for that when they were born. Don't misunderstand me. God's good. I'm not complaining. I'm just explaining that sometimes in life, there are times where you look and you say, what is God thinking? Funny enough, though, in that time frame, while we were looking for houses, there's one house we came across that was around the corner from the house we, we, were, we were buying and living, getting ready, moving into. And we were looking, and there was two of them at the end of this cove. And they were the bigger, bigger houses, biggest houses in that little subdivision area. And we walked into one, and, man, we looked at it and we said, this is really nice. And we asked the agent how much. And, and at the end of her telling me, I said, why did you do this? <laughs> why did you? That's what they do, right? They show you the more expensive, hoping you got more money. Don't they know that we always tell them this is the max, right? She says, why did you do this? And when years pass. In fact, I think it was about five years passed. Seven years passed. There we go. I'm getting, getting my cues. About seven years passed. From the time we bought the house we bought, stepping out of that house, moving into a smaller house that we were renting, trying to make it, to the time we were already about ready to buy. And it was ironic, I, we're, we're renting and I hate the buying of a house process. I just literally hate it. And a lady that, that, that is a part of our church, her and her husband are realtors. And so, you know, her thing is, well, hey, we got this house that, that's available. Right? And my wife looks at it and she says, Glenn, I think we should really try for this house. And it was just, a, it was a little down the street. And I said, okay, we'll, we'll go for it. And, and I said, but you got to do all the work, of course, right? Because I hate that process. And so she does all the work. We go to sign on the house or go to, to put the, the, the offer on the house. We put it on the house, in fact. And the person selling the house says, okay, that's no problem. But here's the deal. We got to put an offer on this house. And three days later, just the whole house went off the market. And we did all that work, right? 
And so my wife says, well, you know, we've done all the work. Why don't we keep looking? And this agent in the church, she she said, well, here, here's a couple options. She sent one to us and we went and looked at it. We ended up putting a, an offer on it, got it for a much lower price than what, what we thought we would have to pay. And I, I know this sounds, you guys probably have a much better memory than I do, but it was like one day, in one or two days into this new house, my brain just clicked. This is the house we looked at in the very beginning that we couldn't afford. And we're living in it now. I thought it was my neighbors at first, and I said, hey, Bob, I think we looked at Jesse. He said, Glenn, my house has never been on the market. You see, God's ways aren't our ways. We, we don't think the way he does. He, his ways are so much bigger than ours. He sees every step of it. So how, how do you follow God if his ways are not our ways? And how do you follow God if nothing's making sense? I'm going to give you two things real quick here. Number one, I, I promise you this is, going, this is a life-changing difference. As a pastor now for 10 years in Jackson and, and experiences I've had before pastoring, this is the number one. Stay in the church. Stay in the church. The church is the place you go each week where you experience God's presence, where the power of God continually works in your lives and the fellow believers, the, the people of God encourage you as you wait on God's ways. Is the church perfect? No. Why? Because it's made up of imperfect people. Are there problems? Sure. But I'm telling you, all those problems melt away when you come in and you sing about the goodness of God. When you come in and you begin to talk about how great God is. All of those things melt away when you come in and you hear the word of God and you open up and you say, Okay, God, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I don't even understand what you're doing. But I need you and if you continue that every single time every chance you get i get it life gets busy things happen and there are times where we question god and we wonder is it really worth going to church i'm here to tell you the answer is yes it's worth it every single time you can go to the house of god go but the second one is just as important but without the first you'll never get to this the second is you need to have a spiritual authority in your life. There needs to be that someone in your life that is a spiritual authority. Somebody that can speak into your life. When I grew up, the, it was somebody has to be able, there has to be that person in your life that can spiritually tell you no. We don't like that. That's a hard one. But the reality is, is you need that spiritual authority in your life. Why? Because God gives spiritual authorities in the body of Christ as one that can break the bondage of lies that you, your flesh tells you and that the enemy of your soul tells you. When you walk in here on a Sunday afternoon and you're questioning whether it's really worth it or you're saying God doesn't even know where I am 
or you're talking about how things are so hard and you just feel like giving up and you don't think you can make it. When that pastor, when your pastor, when your spiritual authority will come over there and grab you, hold your hand, hug your neck and pray for you and say, God has you. You're not alone. When he does that, those words literally break the bondage of those lies in your life. You need that spiritual authority. Well, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Listen to me. I, I get it. I get it. There are people that come in, into new life and I love them and I shake their hands and we'll fellowship and we'll eat together. And when time comes, they need me. I'm going to be there. But their title for me is preacher, not pastor. And that's okay. I'm, I'm not upset by that. But when you have a pastor in your life and you allow him or, or her even to speak a pastor and a pastor's wife to speak not just hope into your life but words that literally destroy wrong ways of thinking when you allow that you can begin to wait on God with a hope and an assurance that you never knew was there so how do you follow God when you stay in the church and you have you allow yourself to have a spiritual authority that's why your pastor is so important. And he did not pay me for that. The reality is, if you can get to a place where you're sensitive to God and the man of God can speak into your life, as you go through some of the hardest, darkest moments of your life, and you'll go through them, it's suffering's a part of humanity. As you go through them, you will find strength from just a few words that you didn't even. Is he, is he perfect? No. But he's God's person speaking into your life. Why talk about all this? Why talk about God's ways being greater than ours? Let me finish with this. Isaiah 55 and 7. This is the verses before talking about God's ways are greater than ours. Here's what he says. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Repentance, right? Recognizing that we're wrong. I get it. There are some things that are just evil in life. But I can't remember one person that has ever walked in to the house of God or ever sit down for a Bible study or ever just sit there with me and talk that wasn't, that didn't know that they weren't a good person sometimes. We all are called to repentance. And so we're here, the wicked should forsake and we should all return to the Lord. But, but look what he says. If you do that, he will have mercy on you and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. What's that mean? That God just forgives? Well, yes, but remember, his ways are greater than ours. And so the same God that does things his ways and aren't our ways, that we become frustrated with, that we become discouraged about sometimes, it's that same God that forgives what everybody else hates. It's that same God that delivers when everybody else says it's not possible. It's the same God that holds you when everybody else walks away from you. 
Why? Because his ways aren't like everybody else's ways. I read the other day, finish with this, if you would stand with me. I read the other day that if people really knew your every thought, you would have no friends. If, if the thoughts that were going on in your mind every moment, every second were out loud so that the person beside you could hear that thought, we would have no friends because they would know our very thoughts. Scripture talks about that, by the way. When it talks about how our heart doesn't say the mind, but the heart will deceive us in essence. It is it has a desire not to do well sometimes. Is that a nice way to say it? To do evil, to do wrong, to have thoughts that aren't right. The reality is all of us are sinners. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our goodness, our righteousness are nothing more than filthy rags. I wish I was a better person. I wish, I wish I could look in the mirror every day and say, you go, Glenn. But the reality is, I know the thoughts. I know the thoughts I have about others. I also know the thoughts I have about God. The Bible says that he is the discerner of the heart. He knows those thoughts. Now, if you think about that, if he knows all the thoughts that go on in our mind, that if other people knew that they would hate us, they want nothing to do with us, they would walk away from us, that we would literally, there would be people that would, would be executed and, and, and lives taken or put in jail or or. or excommunicated from families because of their thoughts, yet God looks at those thoughts and he says, I know those thoughts that you have, but I'm telling you, I love you anyways. I love you anyways. Today at New Life, in our altar call, stood in the aisle a brand new grandmother and grandfather holding a baby that's just a I don't know, a few weeks old, maybe a month. About a few weeks, just holding that baby. And it's right there, one of the greatest evidences of the, of the love of God that stood there. How somebody can love this, this innocence, see innocence in a child that you can't even determine right or wrong yet in their mind and love them with all of their heart. You try to tell a, take a grand, new grandparent, kids don't matter anymore. The grandkids, all that matters, right? The heart just, just like thumps for them. That's the way the heart of God is about you. Even with the mistakes and the failures we make. So I want to pray. I want to pray because some of you are battling some things in your mind about your worth, about your place, 
You're wondering where God is. You're wondering what are you thinking, God? You're wondering why haven't you come through? Why haven't you done? What? Don't you know I'm a Christian and I, and I follow you and I, I commit myself to you? Why don't you come through? I thought you blessed your people. I thought you took care of your people. And you're wondering where's God? And you're wondering why doesn't you? Why don't you care? You do miracles. Why don't you do one for me? And you're wondering why not, God? I'm here to tell you his ways are not our ways. And that's not an easy answer. But the fact that his ways are not our ways is the very reason why you and I have the opportunity today to come to him when we don't deserve it. I want to pray. Can we do that? Isn't it amazing to think that the Lord of all the universe, the author of every bit of our faith, is actively working through our trials and our tests, through our ups and our downs, through the good and the bad. He's bringing the best to the fore, both in us and through us, if we will only trust Him. What was God thinking? He was thinking of us. He was thinking of His glory. He was thinking of this world that desperately needs his kingdom to come. That's what he's doing in you and in me. We hope you've enjoyed being with us today at Arlington United. Be blessed, our friend.